Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph. I'm Brian Moore and joining the show today are the former England and Gloucester wing James Simpson Daniel, Dragons head coach Bernard Jackman and Nigel Owens is back to answer those pesky rugby law questions. Plus we'll get our regular update on the women's Premier 15s from Quinn's wing Holly Myers. But first I'm joined here in the studio by The Telegraph's rugby correspondent Mick Cleary. Mick, how are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. Uh, uh, Which game did you get to see over the weekend? Uh, I got to see um, Clermont Saracens in a very cold uh, Clermont Ferrand. And uh, even though I was after sitting for three hours on the runway at Lyon Airport uh, because of snow, uh, I am here to uh, to tell you all about it, uh, the game rather than the snow, um, which was a, a terrific game, actually. So it was good. It was... It was heartening to see. Nobody seems like seeing a side such as Saracens play as poorly and pitifully as they did uh, at home last uh, last Monday night. So no, it was a proper game that. Well, the England teams um, didn't do well the week before, and they made partial uh, recompense for that. A good win by Bath over Toulon, very spirited. Um, you just wonder why it takes something. Yeah. I mean, there was obviously the Vanahan two hundred fiftieth game, which added an emotional edge to it. But the key, surely, for Bath is to, you know, not have that sort of artificial uh, stimulus and to, you know, create it for themselves. It was good to see the wreck as well. Um, having watched it on television, um, actually fall, and it was like an old day at the wreck, really. Yeah. And it's been a long, long time since they had that kind of atmosphere. There seems to me, even though they haven't got the results, really, that Todd Blackadder has brought something to Bath. There does seem a bit more of a spirit there. There are emerging players like the hooker Tom Dunn, you know, is a real fiery little uh, hooker that does that does things well. They just need to get to that next level now mm-hmm. of, of having something. Anthony Watson looked terrific. I thought, he did, yes. I thought Jonathan Joseph worked very hard, you know, watching him, all his stuff off the ball is what Eddie Jones wants from him rather than just the gliding outside breaks and all that. So, yeah, as you, you're right. They've, they've got to get consistency is the thing. They've got to do what Saracens used to do and haven't been doing. Mm. And um, having... Bigged up uh, La Rochelle yeah. <laughs> hugely. Uh, went down 21-3 at uh, Wasps. Good performance by Wasps. And not particularly good by La Rochelle for a change. Uh, yeah, unlike the French to be inconsistent. <laughs> but actually, La Rochelle were very un-French in their consistency, weren't they? Yes. So uh, they've uh, reverted to national type rather than their type. I saw they left. Um, I just saw glimpses of it uh, on TV before the, uh, the Claremont Saracens game kicked off. I mean, they'd left three or four of their kind of frontline, what I would think mm. of their frontline players, uh, on the bench. So whether they thought, well, we've, you know, we've got maximum points, we can afford to drop this anyway, uh, because as ever, the top 14 is, is, is in their minds as well. But it was, uh, was still had to do something and did, still had to perform, didn't they, to, to, to win that. Yeah. Um, and La Rochelle weren't as we've seen them, really. But I mean, they are 
a real kind of threat and uh, and, and great attraction, looking chucking it right forward into the potential knockout uh, phases, which they're assured of. Lots of others aren't, but they they are. Uh, Leinster um, coming from behind against Exeter. I mean, complete role reversal. Exeter controlling the game in a way they didn't, uh, you know, in the home fixture. But I, you know, it's strange because these decisions not to take the points yeah. and to go for the corner. All, of course, there's outcome bias. And when you look at it, it's very easy to say, well, there were six points there and the difference was five or whatever. But I think players sometimes don't quite understand the significance in you know during the game of the scoreboard pressure. Yeah. You put the three points over twice and you go in at halftime significantly, you know, with, with a bigger lead, then that puts more pressure on a side. You know, they, they don't feel in, as in touch as they would have done when they went in at halftime, uh, having not played well, Leinster. Um, you know, and Exeter have found the way now, you know, they were champions last year to win win those games, but they've got to find that in Europe and that's a different that's a different uh, matter. Well taking the points, I mean it's what exactly what Morgan Parra did for with Claremont. They just yep. you know, Saracens zipped away to a thirteen nil lead and looked really frisky and Claremont started to come back but got the penalties. It was three, then six, then nine, and, and look at the score. I mean, they were outscored two tries to nil, Claremont, which at home, which is incredible, really, but yeah. eight penalties, you know, and fully deserved those points from it, you know, and just incrementally got back into the game and, and then, you know, were, were deservedly in front. But as you say, that's what Exeter have got to learn. Rob Baxter was hoping they would learn it and would show it um, this season, that extra little bit of whatever it takes in Europe. You've you've Every part of your game has got to be refined or strong or powerful all those kind of elements and Exeter still haven't quite got it you know mm. and that's that's something that, that a conundrum they've got to solve down in uh, down in, down down there well, we'll talk about uh, the european fixtures with the guests that are coming up but uh, big news Jim Minder gone yeah. at uh, Saints uh, no one else seems to have gone no uh, what at Saints yeah yeah well i think they will yeah. i mean i think um I think it's just a matter of time. There might be some employment issues there. But, I mean, a new man coming in is, is bound to look at his coaching assistant or coaching management team. He's bound to want his own, own people. How do you there. assess, um, you know, the, the scorecard for, uh, for Jim? Um, uh, well, certainly, I think it was probably the right decision. I think there's a natural oh, shelf life. That sounds a little bit too uh, disposable, doesn't it? But I guess he's had 10 years. So, and in that time, he's had success. So um, you've got to tip the hat to him for that but they just didn't go on to the next level that we've been talking about with the other, the other teams really and, and yeah i mean that 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 for me is the thing you last saw over the last 3 or 4 years you couldn't see the development of the squad no. and the style no. and the you know the identity well they tried it with alex king didn't they they brought mm. alex king in in order to try and add that sort of backline flourish and whether alex just wasn't given enough time and they fired the wrong coach or whatever else at that the time when he was Release Vern Cotter seems quite happy to, uh, to to take him on board, having worked with him initially at, at Claremont. So you do wonder about that, really. I think the power dynamics within the club needed sorting. I mean, by the look of it, they've got new people in as chief executive, new chairman. I, I think it is the time is right, and particularly for Northampton fans. You know, it's a, it's a fantastic little uh, model model of a professional club how it should be. They've just grown up bit by bit. They've added to Franklin's Gardens. They've redeveloped it very, very well. They've added a bit more, you know, it's a perfect backdrop mm. for them to actually make something off it, you know, and, and therefore that, that's, that's 
why the change has been made because they can't they can't afford not to be successful for all sorts of reasons, emotional as much as financial. Well, Leicester couldn't uh, quite get the win. Went down sixteen twenty five at home to Monster, but uh, Manu Tuolangi lasted. He did last. What, my view on this is: you just don't put him in the spotlight. Don't talk about England places. Just let him play and see where he goes. See whether he can get a run of games where he stays fit, because it's been a long time now since he's put a, a, you know, any sort of run together. It's a long time. You know, I think he had um, he had one cap off the bench, didn't he? Twenty sixteen. He's, he's, he hasn't started again for four years, I think, for England. It's a long, long time. You know, he just hasn't featured, and that's that's terribly sad, really, for a mm. for a professional athlete. It's as simple as that. He's had two or three significant kind of layoffs. Had little interim periods, which again have have had their difficulties as well. So you're absolutely right. Unfortunately, because of what he did achieve as a young man and the potential he has got. He's going to be in that spotlight, so it's impossible for it to swing away from him. Do you? I mean, do you get the feeling, you know, having spoken a lot to Eddie Jones, in and out of uh, these various uh, yeah. periods, that he will feature if he gets, you know, some yeah. some form together. Yeah, yeah. If he gets his form together and stays out of late night bars, because <laughs> um, it didn't last too long <laughs> on his first training camp back in August, did he? Um, I think that is, you know, that, that kind of off-field thing is he's just got to get in check as well because mm. he won't last long with Eddie otherwise, as, as was shown uh, shown in August. But he, he undoubtedly will feature in Eddie Jones' squad because he, he is he is that little bit extra. He is the guy that can actually, as you saw, I know it's you can read too much into one game maybe, but beating the All Blacks in, in 2012, December 2012, I think just the start Five of the month. Ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it was Manu, you know, whatever the, the whatever was throwing around of illness and this, that and the other. I mean, he shredded them, you know. Yeah. So that is his potential. The thirteen slot is not nailed down by by a distance, by a long way, you know, well intermittently as one or two of those other contenders have, have done, and Jonathan Joseph, but got the most caps there. Benteo's looked good, you know, as as well in potentially there, but Manu, I think, has got the complete package if. He's carrying the complete package with him when he gets out on the field, mm-hmm. when he's fully fit and fully firing and fully confident. I mean, that'll be the thing because he, yeah. you know, he, he's. It's going to take him six months to really trust his body. I'd have thought. Well, we didn't feature much or at all the uh, Ruby Challenge Cup uh, last week. We will do so this week because we're able to speak to the former England and Gloucester wing James Simpson Daniel uh, and Gloucester going well at the moment. Uh, James, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How are you guys? Okay, yeah, mate. very well, thanks. Um, Gloucester and Newcastle, um, you know, flying the flag for the English clubs. Do both have a realistic chance of contending or getting near the final, do you think? Well, just speaking from Gloucester's point of view, I think it's a competition they're certainly going to target. I think um, Ackerman, who's who's obviously, uh, Johan Ackerman, who's obviously in charge now, it just shows how well he's done with, with Gloucester in the short amount of time he's, he's, been in, he's been in control of them because he hasn't really had uh, his own signings yet. Yeah, he's almost inherited this group of players uh, and, and coaching staff. Um, and Gloucester has sat in second. Now let's not get carried away. You know, you lose a couple of games and you can suddenly soon drop down. However, he'd much rather be doing what he's doing with them now and be sat in second, uh, trying to build on the home form. Unbeaten, I think, at the moment at King's Home, which which we haven't said for a long time. Uh, and, and this this competition, I think he thinks, well, well, why can't we go and, and try and get some silverware by winning the Challenge Cup? 
So I'd certainly, I'd certainly think if he can keep that that group focused at Gloucester, that nasty pack, that edge up front, which is what he's brought in the short amount of time he's had with the club so far, then then there's no reason if they could get a home semi-final uh, to then go to, to get the home quarter-final to then go on and try and, and try and challenge come semi in the final. And Newcastle, as we say, when we've talked about Newcastle early in the season mm-hmm. as a group, when they've got their big key players, their their big um, names back playing for them. They look brilliant. Their brand of rugby is excellent. Uh, so again, on, the, on their day, they're capable of beating most sides, I think. Let me take the opportunity because, um, you know, for an experienced uh, wing to, to run the rule over this, the back three for England is still not settled. I, I don't think anyone really knows exactly who will play. Um, we were talking earlier on off, off air about the fact that uh, irrespective of his flaws... That Chris Ashton, you know, remains yeah. a consummate try scorer, but he's not going to be uh, there in in the mix because of the uh, rule of foreign players. Where do you think the the players who are uh, in line now now stand? Well, it's it's really interesting. So again, I love I love the conversation of talking about combinations that you can have within mm-hmm. within sides. And you know, if you're going to play Underhill, for example, who's going to make a thousand tackles a game. That then means that you then need a couple of other big carriers around him to make up for his his lack of carrying, if you wanted to say that. And, and in the backs as well, you talk about Tuolangi coming back into the into the fold in time. You know, whenever that might be, uh, as you say, he needs to get a run of form together with with Leicester and stay fit. Um, but he brings something very different to the centre partnership, and, and then you can almost mix up with that having a big bruiser of a carrier to someone that's got the ability to offload to someone who's sight footed, and with the back three. Again, you can't just play your three quickest lads in the back three because it doesn't quite work that way. Someone's got to have a little bit more composure, which is why I think he's always like Mike Brown at the back, safe and you know very safe at fullback, and then a bit more pace in the wings. I still think our best thirteen is actually playing on the wing in Daly. Um, you know, you forget that Daly is a he's, he's a mm-hmm. better, in my opinion, he's a better centre than a winger. Yeah, um, but yeah. he's he's so competent, he's so comfortable with ball in hand and playing on the wing that that that's where he's found himself. But what a great position to, to be able to mix up the combinations. I was really encouraged to see Rocco Daguna getting opportunity uh, in the autumn there, albeit he didn't really get a chance to shine. I think it shows that the confidence is getting a bit higher from, from Eddie Jones with, with uh, Rocco Daguna. Um, sorry to interrupt this, Sam. Could you see yeah. Anthony Watson at fullback? I mean, to me, that's potentially his most his best and most potent position, but obviously the, the Mike Brown factor, as you say, is... Seems yeah. integral to the Eddie Jones setup. Well, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, Eddie Jones and the way he's done things with Mike Brown, he's he's hung his hat on a, a few pl- few players that have been, you know, arguably should they've been left out in the foot. Hartley Brown. Uh, I personally, going back to the original question, would definitely be playing Watson at fullback. Right. I think he offers. He, he's shown that he's comfortable there. He's shown that he can he can put boot through ball when needed. I just think he's electric as far as ball in hand. Um, my, my, my dream back three would love to be him at fullback. I'd play Rocco Daguni on one wing um, and then I'd play Noel when he's fit on the other wing because I think that you've then got a balance of Noel who's so busy he'll suddenly he plays a bit like Ashton mm. he'll turn up around guard yeah. bodyguard um, you know challenge props uh, and then you've got the lightning at the back with Watson and then the, the X-Factor ability in Rocco Daguni that would be my, my dream back three So no place for Johnny May Well and it's tough isn't it you know because he's <laughs> yeah. an X teammate and he's he's been on fire um his form is very solid i just feel 
I I personally just feel I mean he looked very hungry. You know, gun to my head, I just think that I'd like the other two lads ahead of him with, with maybe Johnny on the bench to, to come on if needed. What do you make of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes at, uh, at Gloucester? Really encouraged. And it's, it's funny, I was on a, um, at an event the other day and David Humphreys was there and we were, we were talking. I've also kept in touch with Martin San Quinton about, um, about, about what's going, the owner, about what's going on at the club. And even if Gloucester weren't in second position, I, I, was, gonna, I was saying to these guys, look, I'm not just saying this because you're in second, but from the from you know the people that are sat at home in Gloucestershire now supporting Gloucester, we're really encouraged by everything that's going on around Gloucester. They're they're off the field. They're they're now got the the planning permission for the they're going to redo the pitch, which I think is happening in the summer, which is that's great intent because I think it shows the brand of rugby they want to play. They want it to be really solid underfoot. Mm. Um, they're, they're investing in that. Uh, they've put non-playing staff on bonus. Uh, on bonuses, depending on the performance of the of the squad, which I think is interesting. So they're trying to bring Gloucester as a group, whether that's players and management, people at King's Home, all together as one, which I think is a real real nice touch as well. Um, and, and you're just hearing more positive noises coming out of Gloucester than we have for the last three or four years. And what, what does Ackerman bring? Is it just direction, simplicity, clarity, all yeah. those sort of things? Exactly, and it's, it sounds like you say these words up, but not many coaches have the ability no, to do that. He's a no. play, he's a player's coach, first and foremost. He's about work ethic. He wants hard work. He'll, he, he's a gentleman to talk to. Um, I don't think you're getting any any. Um, I was about to use a swear with him. You're not going to get. You're not getting anything from him that you, that's not dishonest. Yeah, yeah. He's pure honesty. Everything that he does is led by example himself. He's very likable. Um, mm. Just a few times I spoke to him, he he speaks sense. Um, he's very happy that they are playing better at King's Home now, but equally he's just trying to bring that consistency away from home because they got stumped by Serlo in the season, so he's trying to get rid of that that almost hiccup that Gloucester have always had in their game where they can beat anyone one week, but then yeah. they're just as likely to lose to anyone the next week and mm. I think he's trying to stamp that out but you're absolutely right, he's just he's almost a leader that the, that the players want to play for, which I think is, is really good uh, James the uh, mooted move weights that he's confirmed, I think, in terms of um, uh, Richard Hibbard, but Ross Moriarty and so on. How replaceable are th- these players? I think in the in the case of Ross Moriarty, people were people were hearing the noises about Ross earlier in the season, and then obviously when Johnny May was allowed to leave so abruptly and so almost what appeared to be randomly, people were starting to think, "Well, why? What's what's the reason for this?" And we can see the Gloucester's form hasn't been good for the last two or three seasons. Uh, but for Johnny to want to go suddenly at the start of the season, uh, you, people were just asking the question of, is, you know, is he one of several players that are wanting to go or not? And I think you'd have been more concerned had Ackerman Jr. not have come in regarding Ross Moriarty because he's a lad that actually has almost replaced Ross because Ross has been injured. Mm. But he's almost replaced the way he that Ross plays. He's a big physical carrier. He hits very hard. He gets you a lot of workload. These are things that you say about Ross when he plays. And actually, he's got a bit of a rugby brain about him. He's not thick. He, he wouldn't be as comfortable with ball in hand because Ross has got brilliant skill. But you're getting a lot of the boxes that, that Ross brings from from Ackerman's son. And and I think there's a general... that That's why I think Ross has been less missed uh, than, than what he would have been. Um, there's a couple of noises about whether there'll be a few South Africans signed again because obviously with Ackerman's uh, experience out in Africa and, and people that have played under him really respect him. I think there's a, a, a couple of players that may end up coming in and, and being additions to the Gloucester squad that might not be your out-and-out starters, 
but they're squad players. So when the big names are injured, they can fit, uh, step up and fit, fit the mould um, with, with, with enough uh, competence. Well, we'll uh, we'll wait uh, to see with interest. Uh, as a club, I've always liked Gloucester, irrespective of the welcome I got there. I've always thought it was a fantastic, you know, rugby uh, in in the in the right sense all round. So, James, great to talk to you as usual. Thanks very much, mate. Likewise. Cheers, guys. Take care. Uh, let's move on to talk uh, the Scotland at Worcester. Now, I don't know your if, friends uh, coming down from the north. Yeah, to invade Worcester. Yeah, I mean, that's that's been mooted that the SRU might set up a sort of satellite club. I don't think it's got a hope in hell of, of ever coming to fruition. I just can't see why why the RFU would, would sanction that to have, mm. <laughs> to have uh, a, a kind of competing force, which is what the SRU are mm. for, for player talent and all that kind of thing. Why on earth you'd, you'd sanction them um, in, in your flagship uh, competition? Well, I suppose you know the most natural home would be London Scottish, but they're not you know in the, in yeah. the Premiership and investing there. You always come up against the planning permission issue that Richmond faced. Yeah. You'll never be able to develop that ground because it's proximity to Kew Gardens, yeah. and you know that just they, it wouldn't work. So, um, do you blame the? Do you, would you blame the SIU for trying? I'd like to see the colour of the money, which is not the first time I've said that about a Scottish. Um, uh, set up. Uh, no, I mean I can't see where they get the money from either. Really, I mean I, I don't. Not that I know the de- any of the detail. Um, uh, I don't quite know where they get the finances from. I wouldn't have thought the SRU, um, uh, with its two professional franchises in Glasgow and Edinburgh, would have money to spare. I, I don't quite see how that part of the equation works either. Really, I mean it, it's it's not a cheap business. No, uh, running a, a Premiership club as every single. Uh, premiership club owner w- will tell you. I mean, I think there's Exeter make a little profit. Even Northampton, who had 15 years, I think, of, of recording that small profit of whatever it will be, a few hundred thousand quid, have slipped into the uh, into the red with the increased salary cap. So um, I, I can see a lot of um, things wrong with with the potential of that uh, uh, proposition. Um, however, Worcester are up for sale, and they do need something to be done because if not. You know there will be difficulties there, and they will will fall away. I mean, it's a question then of, of whether what you do with do you maintain twelve clubs in the Premiership? I'm not sure. I've always thought twelve is too many myself. Um, uh, well, that's an interesting point. Um, we'll be speaking to Bernard Jackman very shortly, but I don't think we should uh, let uh, Joy Neville's refereeing of the uh, um, Bordeaux Begler game go hmm. unnoticed. Uh, welcome development. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, there are lots of welcome developments. I mean, it's always a risk of two blokes sitting here uh, patting women on the head for, for being good at something as if they're not <laughs> capable of being good at something all the time. But it's refreshing. I mean, Sue Day came on to the, been appointed at the RFU as whatever the title is, financial director or whatever else, a former great uh, woman's player herself. So all these little landmark things, not little landmarks, they are landmarks that are actually are going to accrue uh, across the months and the years, be they on the field or off the field in, in the women's game. And, and I they think, come up with the corporate yeah. governance thing, which has gone relatively unnoticed at World Rugby, uh, making a significant number of yeah. uh, posts there uh, open and you're going to fill them uh, with women to reflect the Absolutely. participation in the game. And, you know, I, I, yeah, I am an old... Uh, I am getting to be a, a bit of an old git, but, uh, you know, I've, I've never understood why uh, there's any bar to this and 
the fact is that uh, provided they're good quality, absolutely no problem whatsoever. Yeah, and, and the great thing about the Joy Neville thing, really, it actually passed off without, you know, obviously there was a bit of heralding it happening as the first one, but it actually then passed off without any great kind of moment or, or, or mention within the game. Because he's a good ref. Absolutely. It's, it's pure and simple. Whereas, you know, we, we'll sure be talking with Nigel Owens a bit about one or two uh, men at senior level who actually, you know, had their difficulties over the weekend or as I perceive them anyway. Mm-hmm. OK, uh, let's now speak to Bernard Jackman, the uh, Dragons head coach. Bernard, hello, mate. Hi, hi Brian. Um, announced on Monday, uh, Richard Hibbert is leaving Gloucester for the Dragons. Now, you've been linked with George North, Quade Cooper, Ross Moriarty. Um, how many of these are going to come off? Well, we signed Ross Moriarty and we've signed um, signed Richard Hibbert. Um, the other two are, are just speculation. But mm-hmm. listen, um, we want to be uh, we want to build a team here that is competitive and. Um, the Dragons have been down there looking and, and probably under finance for a long time. Thankfully, the, the WRU uh, took over in, in May and it's given us some stability, um, which has allowed us, I suppose, invest in our in our coaching staff and in um, in our medical setup, etc. And players with, with the rule change that Warren Gatlin brought in, um, where you have to have 60 caps or more to, to play for Wales uh, if you if you play your professional rugby outside of Wales. Um, there's players now looking to come back, and thankfully, you know they're, they're looking us unfavourably. So it's exciting to bring in someone like Richard Haybard. As you know, Hooker's the most important position in any team. Mm, absolutely, and, uh, yep. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> he's a quality operator. I already have a very good hooker, Elliot T, who was in the Welsh squad over um, in November. But he needs strength and depth, and I've got you know someone like Richard who's experienced and um, still playing very well for Gloucester, and then have a have a youngster who's a local lad who's huge potential. So um, definitely a, a positive day for the Dragons. How much do you know, or how much are you involved in the, uh, you know, the management, uh, the the ownership structure that's now being put in place and changed? Yeah, I'm I'm um, pretty hands on to be honest. We have a new chairman. Um, well, sorry, they have it. The chairman came in in uh, I think July. Uh, David Butchers, who who's a local um, businessman who, who set up just east, um, and he's put the, put a board together. So we're backed by the WRU. Um, but we we only have a we we still have the smallest budget of the four regions, um, and it's up to us commercially to to get our act together and the board to drive revenues that can I suppose ho- have hopefully help us catch up. Um, what I've done is I've blooded in a lot of youngsters this year, so our average age this year is twenty uh, twenty three, um, and hopefully those players by the time next year comes comes around will I suppose have the experience and have the quality to. To play a, a crucial role in our in our in our squad, uh, we're going to have a smaller squad than everybody else in terms of senior players. So, I suppose I'm taking a bit of a risk in in uh, putting my money into smaller number of players, but hopefully have more quality and then having a, a lot of young players who can come in and, and do a job for us. So this year is a little bit diff- tricky in terms of trying to give those players the game time that they need, um, and also I suppose try and bring more quality into our squad for next year. Hi, Bernard. It's Mick Cleary here from The Telegraph. Hi, Mick. Hi. Do you sense that um, there's there's something sort of bubbling in the community as well as to the potential that you that, that, that we sense from the outside that might be there and that you've just been talking about? Newport, to me, was uh, always one of the great, great clubs and great rugby institutions. In the early years of, of European competition, there were great Friday nights uh, down at Rodney Parade as well. So... But then there's been a long period of the doldrums, hasn't there? Which is, do you sense then this kind of uh, people getting behind this revival or certainly the, the, the potential of a revival? 
Absolutely. They haven't, in fairness to them, they haven't had any marquee players mm. since those days. I mean, um, the old Newport board, the, the Martin Hayes and Tony Brown, in yeah. fairness, when they've got Gary Tyson, yeah. Shane Howardson, and Rod Snow, and they had a successful team. And I played here on Friday nights, and it was mm. incredibly difficult. It's like, there's a real, like, Gwent, Gwent uh, beat the All Blacks. So you know, they beat yeah. Australia. Um, this is a rugby stronghold, but unfortunately, when it went regional, um, it didn't really the, the Valley people didn't really follow um, the Dragons because it was seen as being a Newport dominated side. Yeah. So there's been there's been off field politics that we're trying to we're trying to break away and we're trying to build a team now that represents the region. So we're doing a huge amount out in the community and uh, we train up in in Yastamanak. But I think they do need to see the product on the field. The product on the field hasn't been good enough either. So uh, it's my job to build a squad who can who can uh, win and, and um, have played a nice brand of rugby. A brand of rugby that's actually going to be quite forward orientated, and um, in the mirror image of of Gwent teams in the past, and Newport teams in the past, and Ebervale and, and Valley's teams in the past, um, and I think that'll bring the fans back in. And I think it is exciting because um, my background has been, you know, the majority. I've obviously spent some time in France, but sure. I played my played my rugby in Leinster and Connacht, and I think you know I know what it's like when you get a re- a region and area behind you, and um, I think we can do that here, and I think. If we do it right, um, it could be really powerful. So there's a commitment to an attractive style of rugby. Is that is that right? Yeah, we want to play, but we also want to we, we want to be hard nosed, you know. Yeah. So um, we want to have a big set piece, a, a big driving ball. And first, we've already made massive progress in that. We've won more penalties with our scrum than any other team in the Pro 14. We've scored more tries from our lineup ball. So they're the basics. They're the nuts mm-hmm. and bolts. Um, yeah, Brian's smiling here, Bernard, as <laughs> no, you say that, yeah, with a bit of relish. Think, uh, no, I think on the Pro 14, the other t- you know, it's, the scrum is seen as a way of restarting the game. Um, certainly from my experience in France, top 14, it's still a weapon. The Viva Premiership, in fairness, you know, you can you can win games yeah. with a good set-piece on its own. We we see Richard Hibbard, we see Ross Moriarty as, as two players are going to come in, be tough, uncompromising, be part of a, of a, of a, of a battle-hardened pack, and once we get dominance up front, we'll, you know, we'll give the backs the ball. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's about creating a, a team that can uh, can win. And, and I, I don't care how we how we win as long as as long as we do. Well, look, your pool is uh, still is still open. Newcastle top uh, probably will go through, um, barring any um, uh, amazing uh, turnarounds against them. But uh, you and uh, Bordeaux Begler uh, tying on eleven. Hopes for progressing yeah, in the competition. We 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 played Begler Bordeaux uh, twice um, in January. Um, I I think we can we can definitely get uh, to 19 points. We hope we can get 20 points, uh, which I think will, will get us out of the group, which would be mm-hmm. great. We blew. We had a real good chance of winning against Newcastle on Friday night. We lost 27-25. Um, we just gave them a couple of gifts. We we got blocked down and we threw an intercept. So um, that was disappointing, but. We still very much have a have a chance of getting out of our group, um, and we've got two massive Welsh derbies to look forward to at home over Christmas: the Blues on the 26th, and the Scar and the Ospreys on the, uh, on the 31st, and then we play Scarlets away. So that's going to be great. Uh, Rodney Parade's going to be sold out, which is the first time um, in a couple of years, and uh, you know we we want to put on a a big performance, and I suppose you know show the fans that we're a team we're on the up. Uh, and Bernard, I mean, Brian and I were talking about uh, off-air, really, about the Welsh regions and their their lack of clout, really, in, in Europe, comparative to the success of the, the national team, which I think has won three Grand Slams in the last dozen years or so, two under 
Warren Gatland is that this these European competitions and you and the Challenge Cup at the moment they are important and it's about time the Welsh regions made a mark. Obviously, you would know from your your Irish background how how galvanising that can be. Absolutely, I think the, what I've noticed the difference between say the Irish rugby and and Welsh rugby is probably that strength and depth. Mm. Um, I think that you, know, you look at Leinster, obviously have a phenomenal squad, but um, Leinster, Munster, Ulster, you know, have two or three quality players in each position. Connacht, you know, probably have have two. Um, whereas possibly the, the a lot of talent has left left Wales, um, and we probably haven't done a good enough job of actually developing mm. our talent properly. So mm. if you look at Wales on their twenties over the last five or six years. Yeah. You know, they've been as good as Ireland. Um, England have obviously been a bit ahead, but they've been as good as Ireland. But for some reason, a lot of those players um, fall away. And, and that's something that I, I know the Welsh Rugby Union are, are, are definitely looking at their, their development systems and how can they maximise that talent. Because there's a lot of really talented players coming through uh, Welsh underage. Um, but we haven't done as good a job as I think that we can yeah. or need to do um, to keep them in the pro game and... and Get them into the regions and, and keep the regions strong and be competitive in Europe. I think mean, there's nothing as as, uh, as successful as you know building a fan base and uh, yeah. as having a, a really good run in Europe. And you look back at Munster, you know they didn't win a Heineken Cup until 2005, but they had built a fan base from mm. 1998 from you know from great voyages and and you know hard hard luck stories and semi-finals and, and finals. Um, but it was it's that cup rugby that I suppose really ignites people and um you know certainly for us if we can get into the quarterfinals of a of a challenge cup this year um i think it's a huge way of i suppose you know growing that support base yeah what do you think the key is it or is it just one thing or is it a multiplicity of things to re- you know to retaining that talent um yeah i, I think the problem here is is a little bit um there's still a bit of a lack of clarity about, you know, the premiership rugby, which is the level below regional rugby mm-hmm. and regional rugby. And, you know, some of the clubs are still very, uh, and very, they're dead right to be proud of, 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 of what they've done in the past and, and where they're going to go. Um, and there's probably a bit of money floating around the premiership clubs, uh, which probably har- uh, hinders that competitiveness and that drive. So, for example, in, you know, if you don't make it in, in if you come in out of the bat academy and you don't get into the first team, um, you're probably highly likely to you know, you know to make a living um, or to stay in professional rugby. If you come come through Leinster um, or Munster and you, and you don't break through to play for your for your province, um, you probably have to pack your bags and and you know move to England to maybe a championship or whatever. Whereas potentially here, you know, there's probably that 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 uh, safety valve of mm-hmm. of dropping out of the club game. It's a massive issue in France. I've seen in France in Grenoble where some players were were able to get more money dropping down to Federal One or or the Pro D2. Um, and that doesn't harness that competitive edge um, that you need as a youngster um, to, to to basically have that mental toughness and that drive to succeed. Sometimes, you know, a little bit of success as a youngster isn't necessarily the best uh, best mm-hmm. solution or a clear pathway isn't the best solution. You need internal competition. And um, that's something that we're going to try and build in the Dragons to make sure that, you know, the players in our academy um, they're put through, you know, a very thorough process. Um, so if they come through to be first team players, um, they're ready for it physically and mentally, uh, and in terms of their skill set. Whereas probably in the past, it's been just, oh, he's a talented kid, he'll, he'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not really necessarily the best thing for them um, and for the for the health of the regions. 
Well, things uh, look as though they're going in the right direction, so can we wish you the best of luck? Have a good Christmas and New Year, and come and talk to us uh, early in 2018. Thank you, Bernard. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Bye-bye. Cheers, Bernard. Cheers. Well, we were mentioning earlier on the uh, refereeing of Joy Neville in the uh, Bordeaux Begley game. Now we can speak to another top rugby ref. Some people say he is the top rugby referee. It's Nigel Owens. Hello, Nigel. Brian, good evening. You Hi. well? Yes, not too bad. Uh, we were discussing uh, Joy earlier on, and what I wanted to ask you was, obviously the women's game have their uh, panel and the men's game have that, uh, you know, and they have the development officers and the coaches and so on, but how... Does a crossover, you know, where is there a, how do they uh, decide who will get these fixtures and, you know, whether women are qualified and so on? Who, how does it work? Well, it, it is done differently within each different competition, really. So, first of all, sort of, you know, World Rugby will do the World Rugby appointments and that comes under the guidance of, of Alan Roland and the team of selectors. And then European Rugby is done by, by Joel Jute and his selectors, and then the Pro 14 is done by Greg Garner and, and his referees, managers, and selectors. So that's how the appointments are done. Mm-hmm. But what's also, I think, hugely important to remember here is, is, is Joy refereed on, on, on Friday night, um, and she refereed that game because she, were, she deserved to referee that game because she'd been refereeing well, and she was appointed in that game on, on merit. So mm-hmm. basically, the crossover and the opportunities happen when, when, when you're refereeing good enough, you, you'll get the opportunities. And I think that's hugely important to remember as well. It's not, it's not the ticking of boxes or nothing like that. Uh, and thankfully for that, because you should be appointed to a game or whatever you do in life because you're good enough to do that job, whether you are black, white, gay, straight, man, woman, whatever your religious beliefs are, you're appointed because you are good enough to get that opportunity. And, and that's what's happening in rugby. Joy is good enough to get that opportunity, and she deserved it. She's been working hard for it, and, and she's got the opportunity. So she will get appointed to games. That uh, performance is now uh, allow her to get appointed to, basically. It's quite as simple as that, to be honest with you, Brian. Uh, which uh, of uh, other of the uh, women referees are on the radar for taking charge of uh, uh, of games on that basis? Um, I know that there's, a, yeah, there's a, quite a few in the Southern Hemisphere that are on the sort of the radar. I think in Super Rugby, of as far as I think uh, officially uh, mm-hmm. doing the assistant referees job and and, and things. Um, and also there's Alhambra then, who's from, from Spain. She's been on the SEM circuit and a couple of other young referees, uh, women referees coming through as well. So uh, I'm not quite sure what the pecking order is of who's next, but I, I know there are one or two of them who are performing really well at, at the level they're refereeing at the moment. And if they continue to, to do that, then they, they, they'll get the, the just rewards for their performances and the effort they put in. Nigel, uh, Mick Cleary here from The Telegraph. <clears throat> Mick, how are you? You well? Very well, thank you. Uh, is this dive? I take what you're saying is it's absolutely right. It shouldn't just be tokenism that there's a a woman there. That it's about ability and all those kind of things. However, is this sort of diversity, as you mentioned, and and, and your own you coming out as gay and everything, and, and here we are with 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 joy there as well. Is that diversity in rugby actually really enriching the sport? Is that to the point where? Within five years, we won't even have to worry about it. It will just be there. I, I, I think it is, you know, and um, I think you always find, you see, when you do something for the first time yourself, 
you're always a bit sort of wary, a bit mm. nervous, like, mm. you know, when Brian got his first cap or you were doing your your first big article for the paper, you're always a bit sort of wary how people's reactions are going to be and how you're going to be formed. And, and I suppose it's no different here. So when you have somebody coming out like I did for the first time in the sport and, and now a first woman refereeing a game for the first time, everybody's talking about it. And I'm quite frankly so in one sense, but in mm. a positive way. So everybody's, you know, looking to see how they get on and, and that's where the human nature really of wanting to know and see how they get on and stuff so yeah look i, I just i just think you know that the women's sport in in wales for example is is growing at a huge rate of knots a lot more women playing rugby now and, and it's con- con- continuing to grow and then the women, women play rugby the more they'll come involved in the coaching side of it the refereeing side of it and i think as the years go by it joy just won't be the only one and i'm, I'm and i'm sure that i won't be the only gay one refereeing although in a couple of years time i won't be refereeing i'm sure there'll be somebody else there maybe but uh, yeah I'm, I'm sure we are and that's that's the nature of rugby as a sport how great a sport it is that is it is a, a sport that is inclusive for everybody and the important thing as i said that it's important on on ability as well not not just a token gesture mm. or the ticking of I have a question from a listener, David Gilbert. says, uh, why can you tackle someone without the ball, but it's legal because it's called a clear-out? It's dangerous and increasingly lawless. Discuss. Well, he is right in one sense, Brian, that if you tackle somebody outside that contact area, so there's like a limit, really. I would say around the proximity of, of a metre where the tackle takes place. Within that metre proximity, you are allowed to clear somebody out in order to ruck and win possession of the ball. And that then is sort of very similar to what we see as tackling, but without the ball. But because mm-hmm. you are in that meter, the law allows that. Now, if you do that to somebody who is outside that meter, who is not in that contact area, then that should be penalized because that then is tackling somebody without the ball and that, that becomes an offense. But if you're within that contact area, as long as it's a ruck in action, you, you know, you, you grasp somebody, you drive them off the ball, then that fears of that law allows that to happen. But it's quite right what he's saying. We are seeing sometimes people taken out too far away or too far beyond the ball, and that becomes an offence then because it's not within the, the, the contact area. And we'll just... Uh, excuse me. <coughs> we'll just wrap up with this one. I thought we'd got some clarity on the contest for the ball in the air. You had to make a realistic hmm. attempt to, to do it. You had to be in a proper position to make the attempt, and yet... You know, over the weekend of various uh, interpretations, as far as you're concerned, um, what are the what's what's the law and what's the policy uh, regarding the gradation for just a warning, just a penalty or a yellow card or a red card? I, I think I think that the referee, first of all, will need to decide on on what it merits and how he sees it at, at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the important thing. So there's, there are guidelines in place, there's a law in place that you cannot tackle somebody in the air, you must make a genuine attempt to go for possession of the ball, and if you're doing that and contact happens and somebody wins the contact and somebody falls over because of a genuine contest with the ball, then it, it becomes a rugby collision and play on. The referee has to decide when it's a contact or not. But the only thing I would point out here as well, I hear sometimes a lot of people saying, including referees, saying... Um, a realistic position to catch the ball, then you have to judge that because it also comes down as well. You could have a full back who is, if you look at Israel Palau, for example, who's about six foot six, uh, six foot five. Mm. So when he gets up for the ball against Ali Halfpenny, for example, who's about five foot eleven, mm. uh, I, I, it could be five eleven and a half. 
So when you have Falau going up for the ball at six foot four, six foot five, and Lee Halfpenny going up for the ball at five foot eleven, they both may be making a genuine attempt to go for that ball, but their height is is very different. So a spectator looking at that may be thinking, well, there was no way Lee Halfpenny was going to compete for that ball because Falau is that much higher than him. Mm. But Lee Halfpenny's genuine attempt was to win that ball. The fact that the other player is much taller and is able to get up higher than him does not mean that Lee Halfpenny has committed an illegal act. So the referee okay. feels, no, there's a genuine attempt by both people to go for the ball and it's just a rugby collision. You play on. If it's a mistiming act, then it could possibly be just a penalty. If it's a careless act and a bit of a mistiming and careless, you should have known better then you probably could land up with a yellow, depending on the landing as well. But then if there's no attempt whatsoever, you've just recklessly thrown yourself up in the air and taken somebody out, or you've tackled somebody in the air, it's irrelevant how that guy lands. If a guy's jumping in the air, and you just run underneath him, we're making no attempt to pull out of him, and you just spin that guy round in the air, it doesn't matter how the guy lands, because your action were reckless in the first place. So then you'd be looking at probably a, a, a red card. So it's down to the referee to interpret how he feels and what happens at the time, basically. OK, Nigel, um, I think we've cleared that up. Let's, let's hope uh, everyone else who uh, is officiating games is as clear. Uh, great, as always. Thank you very much, mate. Cheers, Nigel. My pleasure. Merry Christmas to you all. Yep, Thank you. take care. OK, now time to turn to the women's game. Let me just read you the... Uh, Results of the uh, Premier 15s of the weekend. Bristol ladies whopping 89-0 win over Worcester Valkyries. Darlington, Moden Park um, and Richmond was called off. Furwood ladies 12, Harlequins 51, Wasps ladies 37, Gloucester Hartbury 17, Loughborough Lightning 7, Saracens women 34. Can I just say that uh, I had the pleasure of meeting some of the women's players at the Sports Personality of the year show and including a remark I can't tell you what it was but it was a quite remarkable uh, revelation <laughs> from Poppy Cleal um, and I'm just glad she didn't tell me this before I interviewed her for a couple of weeks ago I'll never be able to speak to her in the same light again anyway we can now I hope speak to Holly Myers the uh, Holly Queen's ladies wing try score at the weekend uh, Holly are you there? Hi yes I am Hi now you're I've told you you're the outreach officer for Surrey Storm Netball and Surrey Scorchers basketball as well. Yes, I am. Yeah, so I work up at the sports park, and it's just fortunate enough that we train there um, with Harlequin. So yeah, I pretty much live at the sports park <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> well, um, the whatever you're doing, uh, Quinns is uh, is paying off this year. Uh, second in the table, just four points behind Surrey's, and another you know good win at the weekend. Um, was the uh, I, know, I know there was a lot of time with the Aylesford Bulls. But before the start of the season, did you envisage it would go this well? Um, so at the start of last season, when we came under partnership with Ellsford Bulls, I think we were we got absolutely smashed by Bristol in our first week by about mm. 50 points. And by the end of the season, we were sat third in the table. So com- comparing this season to last season, we are in a much better place. Um, although we lost to Saracens a few weeks ago, um, some of these winning streaks have to come to an end. Um, and I think losing that game has done the squad... Um, and the squad good so uh, yeah I think we're in a really good position and off the back of that win we know what we need to work on and how we're going to beat Saracens the next time around Well the team above you uh, Saracens um, Marley Packer the England flanker phenomenal player th- just the three tries again um, what's she like yeah. to play against? 
Yeah, so Saracen's back row are unbelievable. So you've got the Cleo twins and you've got Marley Packer at seven and they're just all through them as really hard runners and what makes them different is that they've got really good ball handling skills as well. And mm-hmm. um, so to, I don't get involved as much um, contact-wise against them like playing on the wing. Um, but yeah, for, for me, like coming off the wing, it's chesting back and when they're breaking the line. But if you don't make up those first hit tackles, they just get more and more momentum and harder to bring down. Um, but for us, for our back row, um, we've got Shawnee Brown in our back row, who just got called up to the England squad in the last um, in the autumn. Yeah. So it's a really good test for her as well. Um, and then Fee Fletcher, who played for England before, um, who's a magnificent eight. Um, yeah, it's all it's all good challenges, and yeah, they're great players to play against. Also, great players to learn against for our girls coming through. Got a feel for for Worcester. They've been on the wrong end of uh, you know some big scores uh, this. Uh, this campaign um how i suppose when you step on a field it, it must be quite dispiriting when you realize that you you're just unfortunately not able as a squad to compete what's the, what's the hope for them in the future well with Worcester a lot of their players uh went to Gloucester Hartbury mm. um i know a lot of those guys originally went to Hartbury College um and with the relationship between the club and the university where girls can get a qualification like if they're going to play for Gloucester so that was the attraction to them um, but coming for Worcester it's just leading in those young players um, getting them some senior like premiership game time and hopefully in two three years time um, they'll be able to develop and then like compete with the middle top teams as well mm-hmm. um, but for them I suppose losing all of those players it's just bringing those other players through the pathway which I'm sure they're doing through their girls program and you know with their younger girls well, Gloucester Hartbury couldn't overcome Wasps, who scored seven tries, um, including a cracker from uh, Tova Dirk, the uh, the winger for Wasps. How how rapid is she? Yeah, I played against her last week. Mm. Actually, um, yeah, it was a pretty it was a tough contest, and I think we were matching each other evenly, tackling each other into touch. So, yeah, I knew that she had wheels, and we knew that we had to shut her down from the inside really quick and get that push on in defence. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, equally on the opposite wing, you've got Abby Dow, who's rapid and has a great autumn um, autumn series, and then you've got Nolly Waterman at full back again, like obviously like out and out like England star. Um, so yeah, the back three for Wasps is really dangerous this season, and they're scoring some really good tries for them. Uh, what's the uh, program like over the festive season? Will you get a chance to relax, or will it be quite hard work? Uh, well, we got sent through uh, quite a few running sessions to do because we've got our fitness mm-hmm. testing straight after Christmas. Um, so, yeah, we'll keep maintaining doing our weights programme. We've got to get our running sessions in ready for those tests, for the testing. Um, so it'll be quite a lot of turkey eaten, but we've equally got to train as well and just, just balance it out. Well, don't overdo it. So we don't want you to be sick when, you're, uh, when, you, <laughs> when you do the beep test. Um, but look, it's great to uh, speak to you. Come back uh, later in the season and chat to us again, Holly. Thank you. Fab, thanks very much. Have Thank a good Christmas. Uh, I used to train on Christmas Day every... every uh, oh, Daily Thompson. Yeah, yeah on the same basis. Was it? Yeah, was it yeah because other people won't be doing and it's an extra session. Um, and I didn't have kids then, so it's not special, actually, you know, when, uh, when you're just coming in a quarter to five with a hangover. Um, yeah, I was about to say you trained on Christmas. They didn't actually say what you did on Christmas Eve. No, That's well, the key. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Mick, um, looking forward, uh, look, the Six Nations is, is starting. Yeah. It's coming. Um, it should. It should. Uh, and it, it, all, it always produces at least one surprise, but it should be good quality this year, shouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think, you know, we always get this time of year and you start, uh, you know, the, the 
dark months of winter and that, you think, oh, that'll be the great Six Nations party. Actually, this time, everybody's talking about the rugby rather than mm. necessarily the kind of uh, festivities um, that, that there are always attend those, those kind of games. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the rise of Scotland and, and the way they've played under under Gregor and, and really he's taken it on as he himself be the first to say from the substance that, that Vern Cotter uh, put in there you know but that that is really exciting obviously as Eddie Jones was quick to point out they there was a similar little bit of hype uh, swirling around Scotland when they came down to Twickenham last year yeah. but I, I think that was an aberration I think genuinely they have moved their game on and they and play I, England at Murrayfield this time yes Yes, and as you would know... Different nine, prospect, completely different yes, prospect. 1990, David Sol walks out slowly yeah, thanks, and England yeah. completely blow it. Yeah. Yes, they, they are. But I think it, it kind of needs it, doesn't it, the, the yeah. Six Nations? You know, you, if I know there was obviously that time where they tried to gerrymander it so that England always played France in the last game and that didn't last uh, last long at all, really. And, 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 that, and that's what you want because Ireland have, have just continued to sort of steadily develop under, under Joe... Schmidt, I don't really think they've ripped it up yet, Ireland, much as they uh, did damage to England uh, in that Grand Slam game. England's only defeat under Eddie Jones. So you, I, I think. And where are the French? <sighs> I know, I know it's a bit of an unfair question, but. Yeah, where are the French? Well, if we had a day to talk about it rather than that, or rather than the last two minutes of an hour, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure we'd e- even find a solution there. I mean, it, it is the great existential as well as sporting question of the realm. And as we've talked about La Rochelle before, you know, I mean, there are players there. They are there t- are a lot t- of good young players. There are a lot of good young players, but whether, you know, there the just seems to have lost faith already in, in the Guy Noves sort of regime. So, you know, there are all these players Power plays going on in French rugby, as we know, with Bernard Laporte and what's going to happen to Guy Noves. You just want to see those players come through and just play, you know, mm. because as La Rochelle have, have shown and proven, those guys can, can run and, and contest with the best of them, you know, and, and we'd love to see that, you know, because there's nothing better than a, a French side in there. Pomp, terrifying as it probably was for you to, to try and face them down. So here's, here's hoping to a great 2018 Six Nations. I really think it, 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 it will be special. Yeah, so do I. Well, that's all we've got time for, unfortunately. You've been listening to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with The Telegraph. Thank you to my co-host, Mick Cleary, and as always, my producer, Abby Patterson. Remember, please subscribe to the podcast because it's completely free, and that way you'll never miss an episode. We'll be back on New Year's Eve with my co-host, Ben Ryan, the Ginger Ninja. Uh, in the meantime, please have a very Merry Christmas.